Our sermon text this morning is selections from Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, who you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard of it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we, when the Lord gives us this land, he will deal, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, well, we are continuing our study in the book of Joshua uh, this morning. We are in Joshua chapter 2 today, and if you have not read the book of Joshua before, maybe you don't realize, but, but most of the book of Joshua is a story of conquest and judgment. It is the story that takes place as the fulfillment of promises that were made hundreds of years before the events that, that are taking place in this book. If you remember back to the, the story in Genesis, Genesis chapter 15, where God makes some promises to Abraham. Do you remember this? Where he calls Abraham outside and he tells him to look at the stars, the millions of stars that he can't possibly count. And he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Someday there are going to be more descendants from you than there are stars in the sky. And not only that, when he promises him the people, he also says, these people, they're going to have a land to dwell in. This land, 
the place where they were standing, he says, I'm going to give you this land of Canaan, but it's not going to happen today. In fact, none of this stuff is going to happen anywhere near your lifetime. But he says, four generations from now, you are going to enter this land. And then, interestingly enough, Genesis 15, he says, it's not going to happen today because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God told Abraham they weren't going into the land yet because the sin of the people who lived in this land had not reached completion. They were not going to get to go into this nation until these people were beyond hope. They weren't going to go into the land of the Amorites until the Amorites were, were past the point of no return, until there was no chance left for their redemption. They weren't going to enter until their iniquity was complete. And that's where we are. This is where the book of Joshua starts. That day, that terrible day has finally come. The iniquity of the Amorites is complete. And last week we looked at chapter 1 where Joshua makes this announcement. In three days, we're going into the promised land. In three days, we are going to march into this territory and claim it for our own. But today, our chapter, chapter 2, we pause for a moment and we get to see this really cool story, this pretty remarkable story about God's grace towards his people. It's this powerful reminder of the, the ongoing grace of God because before they go and march into this city that's doomed, march into this territory that's destined for destruction... God wants to save one last person. God wants to bring salvation to one final household. And so today, I want us to look at this remarkable story and I want us to see three things. I want us to see first uh, the, the surprising salvation of God. And then I want us to see the countercultural faith of Rahab. And then finally, I want us to see the abundance of our redemption. The surprising salvation of God, the countercultural faith of Rahab, and then the abundance of our redemption. Um, also want to mention to visitors here, we do have a cry room. If you need it for your babies, it's right across the hall, and there's a feed, and there's audio and all that stuff. You're welcome to take advantage of that if you need it. Um, so let's talk about the surprising salvation of God. Uh, this passage, it starts out with a recon mission, right? Joshua, he sends two spies to go in and check out the land of Jericho. And Jericho is a fortified city. It is this large city with, with huge walls around it, and it is just across the Jordan River. The people of Israel, they're, they're camped on one side of the Jordan River, and Jericho is on the opposite side. It's the first city that they are planning to overtake when they begin their conquest. And interestingly enough, Verse 1, it tells us that when these two spies go into the land, the first thing they do is they go into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodge there. Okay, just in case you're wondering, maybe you are wondering, just want to assure you, there's, there's no funny business going on here. This is, uh, if you remember, we just, we studied Deuteronomy last year. That whole book is about the time before going in where they have renewed their commitment to the law of God. These guys have just come from listening to the whole uh, books of Moses read out loud and recommitting themselves to it. In fact, the verse right before this one, 
they promised to obey all the commands of Moses and all the commands of Joshua. And so these people, when they come to, to begin the conquest, they're not starting it with, uh, by going to visit a prostitute in Canaan. That's not their first step. Now, the reason they went here is because this was a good place to go. This was a, a pretty good place to, to go and not be noticed. A prostitute's house, right? It's a place where people are always coming and going and nobody's really paying attention to who's there. It's expected that there'll be people you don't recognize in and out of the doors. And so that's why they go to this place. It seems like a pretty good plan, actually. You know, it's smart. It makes sense. It's, it's rational. It seems like that would be a, a nice place where you're not going to be found out. But turns out it's a terrible plan, right? It, it, in the story, it says almost immediately... As they're in this place, not only are they discovered, but the king knows where they are, and he knows exactly what they're doing. Verse 3 says, the king says, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the entire land. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they're just the worst spies ever, but they're, they're instantly caught. And thankfully, Rahab, instead of turning them over, we read that she takes them up to the roof, she covers them up with leaves, and she hides them. And keeps them safe. She sends the, the guards who are looking for them off on some wild goose chase. And this is really as far as the spies ever get. We don't read that they make it into any other parts of the city, really. But they learn everything they need to know from Rahab. Rahab tells them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. That's all they needed to know. That's exactly what they go back and report to Joshua at the end of this book. So those are the basic facts of the mission. That's what takes place. That's what they came to do. But if, if you think about it, right, if you take a step back and just think about what are they doing here, it seems a little strange, right? I mean, did they really need to go to Jericho and find that out? These people, the nation of Israel, they have been wandering in the desert for 40 years, waiting for the moment to march into Canaan. Joshua, their leader, his entire life has been leading up to this moment. He has already told the people to get ready because in three days, we're going after that city. So did they really need this information? Did the spies really need to find out that the city was ready for the taking? I mean, it was probably reassuring. But was there any real chance that their plans were going to change? I don't think so. No, I think the real point of the mission was because Rahab was there. I think the, the real point of the mission was that God knew that Rahab was in that city and he was determined to save her. Think about it. If you had told those same two guys there is someone who believes left in that city. Go and find them. Do you think they would have ever found Rahab? Is she the person that they would have looked for? Rahab is 
maybe the most unlikely convert in all of the Old Testament. She is an Amorite, right? She's an enemy. She's a part of these people who for hundreds of years, we've just been waiting for the day for them to be so full of sin that God was going to wipe them out. She is a member of a nation that is destined for destruction. And then inside of that nation, she's a prostitute. She is the lowest of the low. She is a despised person. And yet, in her, in this little story in Joshua 2, I think we have this glorious picture of God's salvation. We have this little glimpse of of the raw essence of, of God's kingdom and how it works. It's this picture of the reality that that God saves his children not because of what they have to offer, not because of how promising they look to the world, not because of of what they look like on paper or something that they might be able to give us someday. He saves his people because he loves them, because they belong to him. The values of God's kingdom are not the values of this world. In God's kingdom, the the last is first, and the first is last. And this woman, who would have never been found by these men if they had been sent looking, she has already been found by God. So in light of that, I think it's worth us asking ourselves, before we move on any further, who might those people be in our city? Who might those people be, the, the outcasts, the people who you would never think to reach out to? Maybe it's somebody like Rahab. You know, maybe it's someone from another race or someone from another class or someone from a, another culture. Maybe it's somebody who's moved here from a foreign country or who practices a different religion. Maybe it's somebody like that, somebody like Rahab. Maybe it's somebody who's a, a sinner like her who's far from uh, what you would consider a put-together person. But maybe not, you know. I've been trying to think about who are the the real outcasts in our society, and and I wonder if it's not, instead, another kind of people. Maybe it's those people whose political views we're sure are ruining this country. Maybe it's those people who we consider too educated, who are are totally closed off to any notion of something spiritual. I don't know who it is for you, honestly. I'm I'm just throwing out some ideas. But But the question is, who are the people that you have totally given up on? Who are the people that you think God doesn't really want? Well, this passage reminds us that God does not share our point of view. His rescue mission that that, that redeemed this woman, Rahab. You know, I want to remind you, it didn't stop at Jericho either. His rescue mission, it's continuing even to this day, even right now in our neighborhood. And so it's worth asking the question, are we crossing boundaries? Are we crossing borders? Do we still believe in a God who surprises us with who he's going to save? Or do we think he's 
he's most likely to save people like us. Well, that's the first thing we see, the surprising salvation of God as he chooses this woman. But the other thing I really appreciate here is the countercultural faith that Rahab has. This week I learned about a guy, his name was Ignaz Simmelweis. Does anybody know who he is? Maybe some doctors or scientists know. But I read about this guy, kind of an interesting story. In the 1840s, he worked in a teaching hospital. And this hospital was for kind of people who were down and out. It was a a really inexpensive place to go. But there was a really weird fact about this hospital. A lot of babies were born there. And the babies who were birthed by the midwives were five times more likely to survive than the babies who were born with the doctors. And so this guy, Ignaz, he was trying to figure out why that could possibly be. And he tested out several different theories, and and he realized that the doctors had a few different jobs around the hospital. And so in the morning, the doctors would be in the morgue doing autopsies, dissecting bodies of people who had died of various diseases. And then in the afternoon, they would be delivering babies. And so he came up with the amazing idea, the wild idea that maybe, just maybe, it could be helpful if those doctors washed their hands. (laughs) So he made this suggestion that you rinse your hands off with some water and chlorine to get rid of the smell. And all of a sudden, the problem went away. Babies started to survive at an extremely high rate in the hospital. The only problem was nobody agreed with him. People didn't think he was right. They didn't understand the reason for it. And when he stood bullishly by the truth, when he insisted that they keep up this practice, they fired him. They fired him and he ended up dying in shame and humiliated now, of course, we know that he was right. You know, he's, he's gone down in history as someone who held on to the truth. But I bring up the story because it is no easy task to believe the truth when the world around you disagrees with it. Rahab makes this really amazing statement of faith, right? First of all, she, when she's reporting to the spies, she lets them know what's happened, right? What I already read. I know that the Lord has given you the land. She says, For when we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. But not only does Rahab report the facts, Then at the end of verse 11, she makes this amazing profession of faith. She says, For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. That's a huge statement. The Canaanites were pagan people. They worshipped a variety of different gods. They believed that they were gods over all these different realms of the universe. And here... Rahab says, your God is the God in heaven and on earth. Yahweh is the only true God. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it would be like to be the only person in the entire nation to believe the truth? What it would be like to be the only person to believe that Yahweh is God and all the other gods that the people worship are a lie. She believed this truth, and then when she encounters the spies, all of a sudden, she's in a really strange place. We read the story, right? She, she encounters the spies, and she asks them to protect her. And the men say, our life for your life. We will protect you. If you keep it a secret, they we are here. And then they say, they give her the, she lowers them down the window with this scarlet cord, and she, they say, tie this scarlet cord around your window, hang it out the window, and anybody who's in your household will be safe. They say if anybody is killed from within your home, then their blood's going to be our, on our head. And in the end it says that she tied the scarlet cord in the window when they left. All of a sudden, after that moment, for all intents and purposes, Rahab is now an Israelite. In that moment, Rahab declared that her allegiance was not with the people of Canaan. It was not with the city of Jericho, but it was with the people of God. It was with the nation of Israel. She knows the truth. She knows that Yahweh is the true God, and not only that, but she knows that He is coming to judge the wicked and save the faithful. Wow. Think about that. She knows that he is coming again and he is going to wipe out everyone who stands against him. And yet, in this moment, that day, after they left, all she had was a scarlet cord and a promise. In other words, Rahab's life in those moments is a really good picture of the church today. We are a people who have received this great promise. Even though we had nothing to offer, God has come to us and he has snatched us out of this world that has abandoned him. The living God, he has made us a part of his people. We're no longer ruled by the king of this world. We are members of a new kingdom. And one day soon, one day soon, that king is going to come. He's going to come in judgment for everyone who stands opposed to him. Or maybe we should look at it, let's look at it from a different angle. Let's look at it from, from the other point of view. Because Rahab was not the only person in Jericho who had heard about God, right? No, it tells us everybody heard. The whole city was, was shaking in fear. Everybody heard the things that God had done. But only Rahab responded in faith. Now, I don't know what they were really thinking. You know, maybe, maybe they, were, they were saddened by the news. Maybe these people were, were scared, but for whatever reason, they didn't think to turn to him in faith. 
Who knows? Maybe, maybe they said, sure, that God is powerful. I've heard about what he did to those other kings. I've heard about how they crossed the Red Sea. He's powerful, but our city's strong. Our walls are tall. No one has ever been able to conquer us. When he comes, we will be okay to stand. So maybe those people, maybe they're the better point of comparison for some of us today. You know, it's great for us to think about God saving Rahab, the last person in this pagan nation. It's wonderful for us to think about his, his powerful grace towards her. But we need to remember, too, that the reason she needed saving was because she was a part of a people who had earned God's wrath and his punishment. She was a part of a people who had been guaranteed to receive God's judgment. And so are we. We call the gospel good news. But before you can call it that, before you can believe the good news, you have to know that there's some bad news too. Scripture tells us that everybody who lives apart from God is going to receive his judgment without exception. Scripture tells us that, that our Savior is coming to rid the world of evil. He's coming to eradicate sin. He is coming to take all the broken places and fix them. He is coming to make everything wrong right. And that means for you and I, in our sin, there is no wall that is tall enough to protect us. It means that, that there is no good work that can protect us from his righteous wrath. There is no amount of goodness within ourselves that, that can balance out the sin and the perversion that lives in our hearts every day. Scripture tells us that God created this world so that his people could glorify him and enjoy him forever. And everyone who stands opposed to that plan, everybody who's living for themselves, everybody who is serving these lesser kings, these lesser gods of money and sex and power, whatever it is, it says if that's you, you are playing a dangerous game. Because the true king is coming very soon. The world laughed at Ignaz Simmelweis for clinging to this truth that nobody else in the world believed. But they were the ones who suffered for their choice. When the spies left that day, Rahab stood against the world. Do you realize that? It was Rahab against everyone. She was standing against the pressures of her culture around her, and yet she held tight to these promises of God. And in the end, her faith was rewarded. So what about you? As you look at your life, where do your allegiances truly lie? Rahab, she clung to the truth of God 
no matter what the world told her to do. What about you? What does your life look like? Well, there's a lot here. There's more than we could possibly get through in, in one sermon. Through Rahab, we, we learn about how God saves surprising people and how his salvation really defies our logic. That his kingdom and his kingdom's values are much different from the world's values. As we look at her life, we see this remarkable faithfulness that she believed against the challenges of her culture. She cling, cling to God's promises against the rest of the world. But you know, as I've looked at this this week, the thing that has impressed me the most, the thing that has really been stunning to me as I read this story, is the abundance of God's redemption as we look at Rahab's life. That's what has really gripped my heart this week as I've had to read this passage over and over and, and think through it. I've been, been considering just how lavishly God saves his people. How abundantly he redeemed the life of Rahab. Rahab was nobody special. We already talked about that, right? If anything, she was less than special. She was the lowest of the low. She was a part of a despised enemy nation of the people of God. She was an Amorite. She was a pagan. She was an unclean Gentile. She was someone who just by her very existence stood condemned under the law of God. And not only that, she was despised by her own nation. She was a prostitute. She was dehumanized. She was viewed not as a, a human being, but as an object to be used and discarded by men. But not to God. To God, Rahab was precious and priceless. To God, Rahab was so precious that in a few days from this point, when the walls of Jericho collapsed, there was going to be one section left standing with a scarlet cord hanging out of the window. On that day, there was no powerful wall left behind, but instead there was just one solitary stone tower. And in the top of that tower was not an Amorite prostitute, but an Israelite princess. Do you know that? It's pretty incredible. If you flip back, you can find this in the book of Numbers, a generation before this took place, there's a moment where Moses and his people have constructed the tabernacle and the chiefs of the tribes come out to sacrifice their offerings. The princes of the Israelites come and they offer their offerings. And there's one person we read about, his name is Nahashon, and he is the prince of the tribe of Judah. Well, he had a son 
And we read that, that his son would become Rahab's husband. That she fully joined up with the people and she married a prince. And their child was named Boaz. And he was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David, the greatest king that the nation of Israel would ever know. And if that wasn't enough, if we, as we keep going through Scripture, you find that Rahab's name is mentioned three times in the New Testament. She is spoken of in Hebrews and James, and she is commended for her faith and her obedience to God. And then the third place where you see her, you know, is in the genealogy of Jesus. This woman who was discarded by the world. God used her to bring about its salvation. Folks, I really want you to see that today. That's why I would love for you to focus your attention this morning because we, we live in a brutal world. We live in a world where it is hard to cling to the promises of faith. Where it, it feels foolish. It feels scary to stand against our culture. To believe something that no one else does. But if you fix your eyes here, you've got to realize that in Jesus, we have a redemption that is more lavish than even Rahab could have ever dreamed about. If we place our faith in Christ, if we have tied the scarlet cord of his redemption around our hearts, if we would come to him, if we would repent of our allegiance to this world and turn instead to him in faith, through his death on the cross, Jesus spares us not only from the wrath to come, not only from the judgment that awaits at our door any moment, but Jesus, he redeems our stories. I know you guys, and I know that you all come here with a lot of broken places. You come here with hurt and pain from your past. You come here with shame. But look at Rahab and see what God could do for you if you truly give him your heart. See, in Christ, God not only brings us into his mighty nation, but he brings us into his eternal family. He sets us down at his table and he gives us his love. He tells us that not only will we be a part of this kingdom, but we're going to inherit the kingdom with his son. And so I want to close this today with just that challenge. In Christ, God is redeeming our stories. All of them. So maybe you've had a hard week. Maybe you've had a hard time clinging 
to those promises, believing the truth in the face of the odds. But I want to tell you that this world and its values are passing away. One day it will be gone. One day it will be redeemed. So let's take this opportunity as we come to this table to to confess our sin and receive the gift of Christ with joy. And, And like Rahab, when she heard this good news, you know, she didn't keep it to herself, right? She said, what about my family? How many people can I bring with me? You need to protect my mom, my dad, my whole household. Before the judgment comes, I want to encourage you. Let's bring some people with us. Let's get as many people under the protection of Christ's scarlet cord as we possibly can. Let's share the good news and let people know that the King is coming. And he's coming to redeem our stories. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace that doesn't make any sense to us, that we couldn't possibly predict. We thank you that you exalt the lowly and you lift them up, that you don't think the way we think. You are not a God like us. But Lord, we know that we're sinners and we know that if we're up to our own effort, we would get your wrath. God, I pray you'd forgive us our sin and that we today would come under the protection of your son. Father, we are grateful in Christ's name. Amen.